Have you ever been lost? Come on, raise your hand if you've ever been lost somewhere. The rest of you are liars, and you need to lift up your hand too, because I know all of us at one point in our life have been lost. What a horrible feeling it is, right in the pit of your stomach, when you come to the realization that you are on the wrong road, you're going the wrong way, and you have absolutely no idea where you are. Mm. Several years ago, Angie and I flew out to Fresno, California. I was going to speak at a couple's retreat at the Harmony Free Will Baptist Church. What they did is they loaded all the couples up and we went to Pismo Beach. Man, what a horrible place to have a couple's retreat. It was fantastic, wasn't it? I got to speak on Friday and Saturday at that couple's retreat in Pismo. We went back to Fresno on Sunday. I preached at that church. Everything was going great. Until I went to lunch with some people in the church. I mean, the lunch was wonderful and the fellowship was grand. Uh, they lived several miles outside of Fresno. And I happened to be in the back seat of the van as we drove out there. And I had absolutely no idea where we were going. Wasn't paying any attention. We got to their house and they pulled in the driveway. Their son-in-law, who was a policeman at the time, was, was standing there in the driveway. And he had in front of him the, the fastest production motorcycle made that year by Kawasaki. It was one of those crotch rocket motorcycles and, and he was so proud of his new motorcycle and when I got out of the van he said, Brother Will, look at my new motorcycle. I just got it. Isn't it great? And I said, man, it's, it's an awesome bike. He said, I want you to take it on a ride. Because he knew I loved motorcycles and had a Harley but I, I really never had ridden one of these things and so I, I didn't want to offend him so I pulled off my jacket, I put on his helmet and he said, go down the road here, turn to the left, then down to the right. There's a long road there, and you can just you can have fun. Open it up, man. Whoo, boy, I did. I got on that motorcycle, and, and, I, and I took off. And, and just to make a long story short, and I'll tell you, it was a long story, uh, I was so intrigued by the speed and handling of that motorcycle. I mean, Ken, I hit second gear, and the front tire came off the pavement. I thought, Man, I got a wildcat between my legs here. And anyway, I just, I just took off, and I wasn't paying any attention to where I was going. I was just intrigued at the speed of this motorcycle. And after about 10 or 12 minutes, I decided I needed to get back for lunch. They were probably uh, wondering where I was. The problem was this. I was so intrigued with that motorcycle, I had no idea where I was. I mean, I, I looked around, and, and all the roads looked exactly the same. And I, I started panicking because I was lost. And I desperately needed direction. Well, church, let me tell you, all of us in this room need spiritual direction in our lives. Good news is, that's what the Bible is all about. However, the Bible is a pretty big book. 66 different divisions over 31,000 verses. So the Lord placed a summary in the scriptures. It's a digest. It, it, it's an abridgment. It's called the book of Romans. The book of Romans is really a synopsis of the message of the entire Bible. And within the book of Romans, there are a series of verses that gives us an outline for God's entire plan of salvation for the human race. These verses are affectionately called the Romans Road to Salvation. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that phrase, the Romans Road to Salvation. Here are the verses that are in the Romans Road. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, 
Romans 5, 8, Romans 10, 9, and 10, and chapter 10, verse 13. I can remember learning the Romans road to salvation when I was a kid growing up at the Westside Church in Midland, Texas. In fact, on that Sunday night when I came to the altar at age 6 to confess my sins and ask Jesus to come into my heart, my pastor, Brother Zellers, opened his Bible up to the book of Romans and he led me verse by verse down the Romans road to salvation. Never forget that in my life. Since then, I've learned many methods of leading other people to Jesus Christ. But I always find myself coming back to these verses because they summarize everything we need to know and say when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith or if we're leading someone else to Jesus Christ in faith. So here's what we're going to do today, church. We're going to take a little stroll down the Romans road to salvation. Now, my primary purpose in preaching this sermon is this. I want you to fully understand what it means to be saved. I want you to fully understand God's very simple plan of salvation. Because it's the only way any of us are ever going to make it into heaven. Is to do it God's way, alright? And this is God's way. This is how you can be saved. The first stop on the Romans road is Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Now, we're going to throw that on the screen, but what I want you to do is open your Bible to Romans 3, 23. I want you to take a pen or a pencil. There's pencils in front of you there in the pew. And I want you to put a number one right beside Romans 3, 23, because this is the first stop on the Romans road to salvation. You might say, well, preacher, I don't write in my Bible. You write in your Bible today, all right? This is important, all right? Because at the end of this message, if you've written these verses down, I'm going to certify you, okay? I'm going to certify you to be able to use the Romans road to salvation. So here it is, the first one. Read that out loud with me, okay? Let's read it together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Very simple verse. Let me give you the Greek on the word all. All means all. all right? That's every one of us. If you're alive and breathing and paying just the least bit of attention, would you raise your hand? Please, everyone, raise your Come on. Humor me. Raise your hand. Everybody, keep it up. Everybody raise your hand. All right. You're a sinner. Huh? I, I know you might be offended by that, but I'm just telling you the truth. All of us have sinned. Everyone has sinned. The Bible says we are sinners by nature. That is, when we came out of our mother's womb, we were sinners. We got it from our ancestors, Adam and Eve. They are the first sinners in Genesis chapter 3. Since that, all have sinned. Every one of us. We are sinners by nature. It's in our genes. It's in our DNA. That's why you don't have to teach little kids to be naughty. It comes instinctively, all right? And I'm not, I'm not bashing little kids. I love little kids, don't you? But you don't have to teach them how to be mean and naughty and do bad things. All of us are sinners by nature. Not only that, we're sinners by choice. We, we consciously make choices every day, and most of those choices are bad. We are all sinners, and all of us fall short of the glory of God. Let me camp out on that word glory just for a moment. The word glory there has to do with the perfection of God. 
His glorious, perfect purity and holiness. And what this verse is telling us is that none of us can live up to that standard. Here's God's holiness up here, and here's the rest of us down here. And there is nothing we can do to become holy and righteous like God is holy and righteous on our own. Can't be done. Now, if you look at this verse in its context, you will find that Romans 3.23 simply concludes a paragraph in which the Apostle Paul has repeatedly made the same point, quoting verses from the Old Testament. Let me back up and show you what I'm talking about. In chapter 3, verse 9, he says, What shall we conclude then? Verse 10, there is none righteous. No, not one. Verse 11, there is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Verse 12, they have all turned away. There is no one who does good. Verse 20, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by simply observing the law. And then in verse 23, for all have sinned, every one of us. In fact, if you go back and study this in history, there have only been three people in the entirety of history who were perfect and sinless. And the first two didn't stay that way long. Adam and Eve, they sinned. So that leaves only Jesus Christ himself. No one else. None of us can ever gain access into God's presence or ever have eternal life on the basis of our own perfection, our own sinlessness, or our own righteous efforts. You just can't do it. For we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. Now, you might be a good person, and there might be a lot of people who look up to you and love you, but you know what? You're still a sinner. You're still a sinner. All have sinned. You can't make it to heaven on your own. You're a sinner. That's the first stop. But then that leads us to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Stop number 2 on the Romans' road to salvation. So, turn to Romans 6, 23. Mark a number 2 beside that verse, and let's read it together. Are you ready, church? Let's read this. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what a great verse that is, huh? Awesome verse. Let me explain it here in a moment. Before I do, let me talk about John 3, 16. Y'all know that verse? The, The most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 has been called the gospel in a nutshell. Well, I would say the same thing is true of Romans 6.23. In fact, in my humble opinion, if you wanted to find one single verse that best summed up the 66 books of the Bible and the 31,000 verses in the Bible, you could split the difference between John 3.16 and Romans 6.23. I like Romans 6.23 because it gives us a critical contrast. Know the way, notice the way this verse is, is balanced. The first half of the verse says, The wages of sin is death. It's kind of a bummer, isn't it? But the Bible doesn't sugarcoat things. It just tells you the truth. And here it is. The wages of sin is death. 
Balance that, though, with the second half of the verse. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You've got these ideals placed side by side, and we're going to throw them up here on the, on the board so you can see them. Wages and gift, they're compared. Sin and God, it is compared. And then death and eternal life, it is compared. Let me tell you what I'm talking about here. Wages, let's start with wages. Wages is a word that we see every day, every day in the newspaper. We, we all know about wages. Wages is what you get for what you do. Okay? Wages is what you get for what you do. And the Bible says that all of us, all mankind, is employed by sin. Sin is our master. Sin is our taskmaster. And the payment for sin, the payment for a life of sin... The wages for living your life in sin is death. That's what sin is going to pay you. Now, we are all enslaved to sin. You say, well, preacher, I mean, I'm trying to be a good person. It doesn't matter that you're trying to be a good person. Good people are lost in their sins. Good people die and go to hell because of their sin. We're all sinners, all right? Understand that. The wages of sin is death. What kind of death are we talking about? Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. So if you lived your life on planet earth and are never born again, you never receive God's plan of salvation, the payment for that life is going to be death. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. You'll spend eternity in hell. Okay, But then you contrast that to the second half of the verse. The second half of the verse tells us that there is a God. He, he is completely and totally opposite of sin. God is holy and righteous and perfect. And our God has a gift that he wants to give us. You know what a gift is? It's something you can't earn and you don't deserve it. It's a gift. And our God wants to give us a gift. And that gift is what? It's eternal life. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, what a great deal. All you have to do is believe and God wants to give you this gift. Question is, why would God do that? Why in the world would God do that? That leads us to the third stop on the Romans road. And that is Romans chapter 5 verse 8. So flip back to 5, 8. Put a number 3 beside verse 8. And let me read this verse to you. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, what a great verse that is. Huh? Why would God do that? Well, he wanted to demonstrate his love to us. And so he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. The, the, the awesome thing about that is, God did that while we were in our sins. While we had our back turned to God, while we were still living in sin, God loved us to the point that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. This kind of selfless, undeserved love is completely beyond human comprehension. Yet, that is the love that the just and holy God of the universe had toward us while we were still living in our sins. The God who hates every sinful thought and every sinful deed nevertheless loves the sinner who thinks those thoughts 
and does those deeds. <laughs> it's amazing. This past week I was, I was reading about the Holocaust survivor, a Jew by the name of Elie Wiesel. He received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1986. I think he wrote like 47 books. One of his most famous books is simply entitled Night. In that book, he tells of being singled out for punishment one day in a Nazi death camp. He was a teenager at the time, and he had inadvertently stumbled onto an officer who was taking advantage of a woman in the back room of a warehouse. Shortly thereafter, the officer, enraged at being caught, assembled all the prisoners together, including Wiesel and his father. He wrote in the book and said a wave of dread swept over the group because they knew someone was about to be punished in some horrible way. An ordinary inmate does not have the right to mix into other people's affairs, barked the officer. One of you does not seem to understand this point. I shall therefore try to make him understand clearly once and for all. Wiesel said he felt sweat running down his back as his number was called. He stepped forward, a, a crate was placed into, into the front of the group, and that boy was ordered, teenage boy, was ordered to lay across the crate in order to be whipped. He said that the first lash was the worst, for nothing could have prepared him for the shock and the pain that ran through his body like fire. He said the pain was indescribable, and the beating left him barely conscious. When the beating was over, the officer ordered him to stand up, but, but he couldn't stand, and so two guards hoisted him between them. And the officer came over to him, looked into his eyes, and warned him that far worse would happen to him if he ever uttered what he had seen in that warehouse. But here's the point of the story. Wiesel later said that, that he was not the person who suffered the most that day. He said, no, there was one other person who suffered far more than he did. And that was his father. His dad, who was standing among the prisoners, hopelessly and helplessly watching, unable to do anything to save or spare his son from being brutally Church, we will never be able to understand the love of God. Somehow, during six hours on Friday, 2,000 years ago, the father stood aside and watched as his son was beaten and crucified and shed his blood on Calvary's cross to take away our sin. And somehow, during that experience... Our sins, my sins, your sins were transferred over onto the body of the sinless Son of God. Isaiah 53 put it this way, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we have been healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone into his own way. And the Lord has laid on him 
the iniquity of us all. I can't begin to comprehend that. How that God would love you and I so much that he would give his only son to die for us. That's, in essence, the story of the Romans road. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still in our sins, Christ died for us. And that, my friends, leads us to the fourth stop on this Romans road to salvation. It's Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Turn there quickly and write number beside Romans 10, 9 and 10. Here's what these two great verses say. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You couple that with the fifth verse, which is Romans chapter 10 verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wow, what a great verse. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. If you call on the Lord's name and you ask Him to save you, He'll save you. Through a story, let me tell you how this happens. Hyman Appleman was a Jew born in Russia in 1902. He was reared and trained in the Jewish faith in a very strict way. When he was about 12 years old, his family immigrated to America and they settled down in Chicago. He was enrolled in the first grade. The problem was he was 13 years old and weighed 150 pounds. Right? And his parents put him in the first grade. He said it was, he had a horrible time sitting in one of those little tiny desks made for six-year-olds. Because he was 13 and weighed 150, but he did well in school and eventually graduated with honors from Northwestern University and then from DePaul University. He became a prominent attorney in, in Chicago. His only problem was this. He was a workaholic. And in 1924, he had a physical breakdown. His family told him he needed to take a vacation, just go on a trip. And so he decided to travel out west. His first stop was Kansas City, Missouri. He checked into the local YMCA, and the very first person that he met was a newspaper reporter who witnessed to him and told him about Jesus Christ. He went to his room that night, opened the desk, and what did he find? A Gideon Bible. So he opened up the Gideon Bible and he began reading it. The next morning, he went to church with the reporter. His first real exposure to Christianity. From Kansas City, he went on to Denver and there he met some other Christians. In fact, the pastor of the Central Christian Church in Denver met with him that afternoon. And, and from 3 o'clock until midnight, he shared with him the good news. Finally, the pastor looked at Appleman and said, You don't need a doctor, my boy. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Finally, the two men turned to this verse, Romans 10, verse 9. 
And the pastor, as carefully as he could, explained this verse to Appleman. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Friend, that was, that was a nearly impossible thing for a sick and weakened Jewish lawyer to do. Think about that. But he did it. He trusted Christ as his Savior. Dr. Appleman prayed and he claimed this verse as his own. He was 23 years old. The next day he was baptized. He sent a telegram to his family telling them what he had done. And they were horrified. They were angry. In fact, his fiancée got so mad she broke the engagement. He became an outcast to all of his friends. But he held firm to the gospel. He didn't give up the faith. In fact, he quit being a lawyer and became one of the greatest evangelists of his day. He held crusades not only in the United States of America, but all around the world. Hundreds of thousands of people confessed Christ as their Savior under his preaching. And he often referred to himself as a little Jew with a big Jesus. Well... This one Bible verse and the power of this one verse did all of that. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That little phrase, Jesus is Lord, was the New Testament confession of faith. It is the acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is God himself and that we make him the Lord of our lives when we accept him as our Savior. We make that statement when we determine to believe the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Church, listen to me. Jesus died and rose again for us. Jesus died and rose again for us. Jesus has done his part. Jesus has provided for our salvation. And there is absolutely nothing that we can do to merit God's favor. Because Jesus has done it all. The only thing left is to receive that gift of God. And we do that with our mind and through our mouth. We recognize in our minds and our hearts that Jesus Christ was crucified on Calvary's cross and rose again. We believe that. We understand that. We acknowledge that in our minds and in our hearts. And then we confess him with our mouths. We confess Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of my life. That is the power of the Romans road. Church, I'm here to tell you, that's where the Romans road can lead you. Straight to heaven. It's the only way. It's God's way. Understand this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 13, for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So don't say he can't save you. Don't you believe that lie and say there's no way God could, could forgive me for all the wrong I've thought and all the bad things I've done. I don't believe it for a minute because God's word says if you believe, you can be saved. That's it. That's about as simple as it gets, folks. God's simple plan of salvation. I've got... I've got two reasons, buddy, I've got two reasons for preaching this sermon. Reason number one is this. I want to make sure this morning that you understand God's simple plan of salvation. Listen to me, church. Lord knows I'm not being hateful or rude or mean to you today. I'm telling you this because I love you. I want you to go to heaven. God wants you in heaven. There's only one way you can get into heaven. That's God's way. Your name has got to be in the Lamb's book of life. And the only way your name can be in that book is if you accept Jesus as your Savior. With your mind and heart, you believe that He died on the cross for you. And with your mouth, you confess Him as Lord of your life. That's the only way. The only way you can go to heaven. Do you know you've been saved? You know, it could be that you're here today and, and you, you know you've never done that. You know you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. By all means, would you please consider doing that this morning? Today, make this your day of salvation. Jesus loves you so much. He wants to save you this morning. And He can. He can turn your life around. He can clean your life up. All the mistakes, all the faults, all the failures... Everything you've ever done bad, Jason, he can forgive you today for that. Will you let him do that? Maybe you're here today and, and you just have a doubt or a question about your salvation. You're not quite for sure. If I ask you this question, do you know for sure that if you died today you would go to heaven? You say, well, I, I think I would. Guys, let me tell you, this is too big just to be thinking about. You need to know for sure. You, you say, well, a person can't really know. Yes, they can. You can know for sure. I know I'm going to heaven. And you can too. So if there is a doubt, any doubt, any reservation, would you please receive Christ as your Savior today? You say, well, I was baptized when I was a kid. Baptism won't get you in. I joined the church. It's not going to get you to heaven. My great-granddaddy was a free will Baptist preacher. Big deal. It's not going to get you in. You have to believe. You have to confess. So bow your heads with me right now. Everybody bow your head. Don't look around. It's just between you and God, okay? Forget about everybody else in this room. This is between you and the Lord.
Look deep in your own heart. Be honest with yourself. Do you know for sure you'd go to heaven right now if you died? If you're not for sure, let's make sure. How do you make sure? Well, you just invite Jesus into your heart. How do you do that? You pray this simple prayer. Okay, so I'm making this as simple as I can. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you go to heaven when you die. 